0: Hi, everybody. Tyler Matheson here. When great ideas are discussed, they can create an everlasting impact. And that's why we're re-airing a must-listen-to episode of our podcast, The Keynote. We hope you enjoy and feel inspired. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, a conversation about psychedelics with former NHL player and co-founder of Wesana Health, Daniel Carcillo. Inspired by his own mental health struggles and success with alternative treatments, Carcillo's company is testing the use of psychedelic drugs, to treat anxiety and depression in people with traumatic brain injuries. He spoke with my colleague Dominic Chu at CNBC's Healthy Returns Summit on May 11, 2021. They were joined by Shark Tank investor Kevin O'Leary and Dr. Sharman Ghaznavi, who leads the Center for Neuroscience of Psychedelics at Mass General Hospital. Here's their conversation.
1: Daniel, thank you so much for being here. If you'll just allow me to kind of set the stage for our audience here, for, for people who, who aren't familiar with your story. Daniel Carcillo is a, profesh- a former professional hockey player, spent over a dozen seasons in the National Hockey League playing for a variety of teams. Now his life has literally been about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. The thrill of victory on the ice, helping to win two Stanley Cups. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. The agony of defeat has happened in other parts of his personal life, but it wasn't all smiles for Daniel Carcillo. Underneath that facade, he was a man in pain. And, And Daniel, perhaps that is where we will pick up this conversation. Your life, your story has been riddled with not just those triumphs of the Stanley Cup, but also contemplations of suicide, You were in a dark place. Therein lies the agony of defeat. Please take us through what exactly has been your experience in health, both mental health with concussions and everything else that has led you to where you are today. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for the question.
2: Um, I was forced into early retirement in 2015 at the age of 30. After my seventh diagnosed concussion and the subsequent symptoms afterwards, I was dealing with things like light sensitivity, slurred speech, headache, head pressure, insomnia, impulse control issues, anxiety, depression, and then ultimately suicidal ideation. And I played in a league that still does not admit a link between repetitive head trauma and neurodegenerative disease like CT and early onset dementia. And so I found out really quickly that there were no tools both from the league and um, readily available in the public domain. And so I've spent the last seven years just putting my head down to try to advocate, educate, raise awareness for traumatic brain injury and the dangerous symptoms that can arise, as well as advocating and highlighting um, treatment modalities that are evidence-based that can help not only manage uh, symptomology but um, give you some semblance of understanding into trying to regain somebody's quality of life so really um, just been on a a journey of advocacy for the last seven years to try to advocate uh, for this type of awareness and education for traumatic brain injury survivors and although I'm an athlete um, it affects a lot of other communities like women of domestic violence our veteran community, as well as the older age demographics.
1: So, so Daniel, I mean, the, the story, your personal story is so fascinating because of not just the, the road you've traveled with regard to your, your realizations about your health, but also the physical road that you've traveled. In, in your quest to try to find a way to make your life better, you went to the depths of the rainforest and spent months in Peru in search of that particular thing that might help you. Can you take us through that experience, the physical journey of trying to search out those types of remedies for what could be the future of mental health and and treatment of traumatic brain injury, TBI?
2: Of course, yeah. So I spent the better part when I retired in 2015. I spent four years um, doing things like self-deprivation tanks, going to functional neurologists, Uh, The best CTE pathologists, talking to concussion pathologists, um, neurofeedback, things like SPEC scans, MRIs, CT scans, um, hyperbaric chamber, TMS, speaking to the smartest neuroendocrinologists, really just running the gamut to try to get a handle on not only my symptomology, but also reading a lot of PubMed papers and anything I can find on what had happened to my brain and then how I could possibly fix it and I tried these traditional or evidence-based modalities for four years I got to a point two years ago where I found myself um, extremely suicidal Um, I was always tracking my progress with these modalities with QEEGs and then blood work QEEGs are basically brain scans that tell us how our brain is communicating and I did that because although these types of anecdotal stories are powerful Science is really what moves the needle, especially when you're talking about something so heavily stigmatized um, as psychedelic medicines. And so I found myself two years ago sitting in my house um, for the better part of three weeks. I thought that I'd become a burden to everybody around me. And the number one cause of death after traumatic brain injury is suicide. And I started to make poignant plans to unburden my family and take my own life because I thought I'd tried everything and luckily a former teammate reached out and I took an invitation to a farm um, and there was a lot of education about um, the anti-inflammatory benefits of uh, cannabinoids as well as functional mushrooms like lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, chaga, garracon, and turkey tail and psilocybin. Uh, which is a a psychedelic medicine and I took the invitation Um, I prepared for a ceremony I was led through a ceremony uh, using psilocybin and it saved my life I woke up the next day and and I can describe it as feeling the way I should and after that ceremony um, over the course of two weeks symptomology started to lessen in intensity and then all but fade away. And I found myself more connected to myself and then being um, more outwardly connected to others around me. So I have three young kids under the age of six and all I wanted to do was get back home and hug them and get connected to them and connected back to my, my beautiful wife. And um, I started to you know shift things inside of myself. Um, my negative self-talk that I was so used to using because of my professional career, turned to positive self-talk. And I wasn't isolating anymore from loved ones. My light sensitivity seemed to vanish. My anxiety and depression lessened in intensity, and I do not suffer from anxiety and depression any longer. And a lot of really amazing destructive thought patterns that I was suffering from uh, were no longer evident after two weeks. and so. I truly understood that nothing gets fixed in five hours and this isn't a panacea and so we have to, um, I had to do things like just really watch my diet, uh, focus on sleep which is integral for TBI survivors and as I moved through um, this regiment uh, that I've now been on for the last two years, um, I tested every six months. So. Big dose I used um, in a very structured way uh, with um, people that are experienced with the medicine. And then I started to use a microdose on a daily basis of this medicine because I understood that I needed to continually flush out inflammation and stimulate brain regions that were shut down due to my trauma and my past history. And I got six months in and everybody around me noticed a difference. and um and so i wanted to retest and i retested my brain using a qeg and for the first time in five years i got it back with no abnormalities so that meant that my brain was communicating correctly and then i tested my blood as well and my free testosterone was optimized as well as my cortisol levels and so There's some pretty amazing results, and I didn't say much. Um, I wanted to get to a year and get another couple tests under my belt, which I've done. The year test looked even better than the six-month regimen, and that's when I started to poignantly put together people around me that knew how to and were experienced in global clinical drug development and put all of the information that um, I've collected over the last two years in my own recovery journey into a real business and into patents um, to protect the innovations that I've created to be able to deliver it through the right regulatory pathways to the communities that I mentioned before that are high TBI um, suffering communities. So it's um, been a pretty long journey these past seven years, but it's um, allowed me to, um, load myself up, if you will, with all of the knowledge necessary um, to deliver um, you know, the best healing experience uh, through Sana and to really create the community that I think is needed to be able to support traumatic
1: brain injury survivors. Daniel, if you'll allow me here to bring in our other panelists, because now that we've kind of heard a little bit about your story, we'd like to see how the trajectory of psychedelics of this type of treatment could carry into the future. For that, we turn to Dr. Sharma Nazgavi. She is the associate director of Mass General Hospital's Center for Neuroscience for Psychedelics. And, of course, famed investor Kevin O'Leary. You'll know him. He's the co-host of Shark Tank. He's also the chairman of O'Shares ETFs, so exchange-traded funds as well. Thank you both, Dr. and Kevin, as well, for being here with us. Uh, Dr., perhaps I I can just dovetail off Daniel's conversation to you. You heard his story. It's an amazing one. Are there similar stories out there about the positive effects of psychedelics? And and is is the mainstream medical community becoming more and more perhaps adoptive of this kind of technology and science?
3: You know, I I come to this conversation as a psychiatrist and as a psychiatrist, I have a front row seat uh, to the incredible toll that mental illness or neurological disorders can take. And, um, you know, we keep hearing these stories about patients who have incredible responses, kind of like Daniel's. And the reality is that for, far too many patients still, our current treatments are either inadequate or don't help at all. And so we owe it to those patients specifically to explore the promise that these compounds have.
1: Now, Kevin, uh, you're you're somebody who who takes a look at the, the angles of this from a business standpoint. Is there a glide path for this type of treatment for psychedelics to treat things like mental disorders, like traumatic brain injury, is it, is it on the glide path to be where you know, marijuana, cannabis is right now? Would you liken the psychedelics storyline to maybe where marijuana was, cannabis was five years ago, 10 years ago, maybe 20 plus years ago?
4: No, I would say the potential of psychedelics are, are far, uh, far exceed the potential of cannabis You got to remember i'm looking now at it pragmatically as an investor i I never invested in cannabis because it still remains a schedule one narcotic as do psilocybin and lsd however uh the the research going on in, in psychedelics as medicine are not contemplating releasing recreational products so i don't have the risk of breaching rico statues as i do with cannabis i'm not interested in getting into that controversy What interests me is the scale of the size of the markets that some of these medicines, and you just heard Daniel's story, there's all kinds of anecdotal evidence that microdosing LSD, new derivatives, new molecules based on psilocybin, one called 18-MC, for example, that takes out the hallucinatory element to it and just looks for the effect uh, that can be very stabilizing, trying to solve for opioid addiction, suicide, brain trauma, all of these different opportunities have been ignored um, ever since the 60s when LSD was considered, you know, uh, primarily Timothy Leary and the overdosing that occurred on the West Coast. It became an illegal drug. The Army, as you as you may remember, used it in trials um, in a rather nefarious way. But as, as a as, as a useful medicine, it's only come to the fore in the last 36 months. And multiple companies have now raised capital, not small amounts, billions of dollars. There are multiple uh, trials going on um, in stage one, stage two. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an investor in several companies that are doing this now, and, the, and these are junior farmers. This is a brand new area of medicine. It's, it's a nascent brand new area with such incredible potential and so the way you have to look at it as an investor is, these are you know, new medicines for mental health. We haven't had anything new in 30 years. I mean, all the Ritalin and Adderall they pump people up with, the, the outcomes are terrible. And for opioid addiction, they give you more opioids. So that, that's not a good outcome. And so these are different ways of looking at it, saying, let's try um, microdosing LSD. Let's try new molecules around psilocybin. Let's combine them. Let's do all of these trials and see what the outcomes could be. And the anecdotal evidence, if you heard from Daniel, looks good. But from an investment point of view, you have to remember they're nascent, they're risky. The trials can have binary outcomes. Either you create a multi-billion-dollar drug or it goes to zero. But the way to look at it in terms of, of again, as an investor, is, is, is diversification of risk. So I tend to overweight the companies that have multiple trials. So some companies do a single molecule and others have multiple trials. And, Right now, the two public ones that you can find on NASDAQ are MindMed and Compass. Now, MindMed recently listed MNMD, and that has a lot of trials. So that's the one I'm overweight, but I also own Compass because they're exploring the road down psilocybins and other opportunities. But you need you have to remember diversification because the outcomes are very, very random in some sense. But is this an exciting space? Absolutely. And the potential here, I mean, how often do you get to invest in something that has never been done before? It's sort of like being the first investor in an electric vehicle. It's the same thing here in in, in new medicines, in psychedelics.
1: Now, now, doctor, I I guess with that in mind, what what exactly is the path forward? What, What are the next steps? What exactly can we see? in terms of development of psychedelics in the next 12 to 18 months or, or the next five years?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we also owe it to patients to do our due diligence. Um, as, as both the other speakers have pointed out, you know, there's a lot that the, the early data is promising. The anecdotal evidence is really promising. But there's a lot that we don't know about psychedelic medicines. And, you know, for instance, which drug for whom, um, what dose, how many doses, there's a lot of talk about the ideal mindset and setting and how do we create that? What is the right mindset and setting? And we need rigorous research in the coming years to be able to you know, optimize treatment delivery and to make sure that we um, are maximizing benefit and minimizing harm.
1: All right, and, and Daniel, perhaps, perhaps we'll give the final word to you here. If you look at the way that we've kind of cast this story right now, your role within Wissana Health your, your role as a, as a victim, as a, as a person who has suffered through traumatic brain injury and, 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 and mental health disorders as well, what exactly would you think about where your company goes in the coming months and years? What would be the optimal trajectory for your business or, or even the entire industry with regard to how psychedelics are viewed by the broader medical community?
2: Yeah, so I think that understanding education and awareness is key and critical. Um, you've heard that, you know, set setting uh, the right mindset to when you do these medicines, uh, the right environment that you do these medicines within will have a very big impact on the outcome. And there is a lot of talk about um, taking the hallucination out of these medications. And some can argue that that is the medication. And so creating and collecting data, letting data inform our decision-making for how we set up these experiences will then really show us um, what these medicines can do as far as outcomes. And for Wysonna Health, we just want to be a company that is focused on supporting um, neurological wellness through the right regulatory pathways and looking at a number of these psychedelic medicines to treat uh, a wide variety of uh, physiological um, ailments that are derived from traumatic brain injury, which include PTSD, anxiety, and depression amongst uh, brain fog, brain fatigue. So I think that you know we've learned a lot through what MAPS has been able to achieve and what Rick Doblin's been able to achieve, and I think that the companies that stay close to the roadmap that they've used as far as their CROs and how they've structured their clinical trials, those are the companies that are really going to set themselves up for the greatest amount of success in this space, and for Wisana, a win looks like the proper regulatory approvals from the FDA and Health Canada which we'll be filing for in Q4 uh, of this year so everybody's really really excited and um, yeah the space is definitely bustling and I think that you know a good healthy marriage of what we know about these medicines that have been used for thousands of years by indigenous people uh, with a um, and aim to medicalize as well and collect data so that sure. we can better predict what will work for a specific individual. That is where we sauna Health sits at that intersection and really creating personalized medicine and letting data right. uh, drive the delivery of that medicine.
0: That was former professional hockey player Daniel Carcillo, Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary, and Mass General's Dr. Sharman Ghaznavi. They join me at CNBC's Healthy Returns Summit on May 11th, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. For more information on upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, please visit CNBCevents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening.